Welcome to Three is the Magic Number, the podcast that invites a guest on every week to talk about their top three favourite things. My name is Renfrey Dedman and joining me as ever from his hovel down in South London, it's oh, Matt yeah. Hughes. Hi. Matt, how are you today? You look lovely. Thanks, you thanks. You different. Yeah. I do look different. I, I feel different, yeah. I should probably point out this is the first time that Matt is recording an episode of Three is the Magic Number with glasses on, and he looks pretty dapper, I have to say. How are hey, you feeling thanks. about thanks. about being one of the four-eyed glitterati? <laughs> sure. Uh, I fe- <laughs> Hi, I'm, uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I used to wear glasses when I was much younger. I had a oh, right. symptom. Yeah, yeah. I had a symptom called Duane Syndrome. Uh, yeah yeah which is essentially a lazy eye one of my eyes would go wandering but the problem is when you have something called Duane syndrome when you're a child and you tell people they say you have down syndrome no no I don't I don't have down syndrome I have Duane syndrome it's essentially a lazy eye so I had very thick glasses when I was younger so I guess I am sort of used to them but uh yeah I think I look good I think I look all right I think I look like a you know, like a uh, male male streep. A, a male streep. A male streep. <laughs> <laughs> Deary me. We're not actually here to talk about glasses. Um, right. That's a long, long time spent on glasses, considering mm. we're not actually talking about that at all. Today, we are joined by a fantastic guest in the form of my friend and your friend, speaking specifically to Matt there, but maybe your friend if you're listening, Mr. James Scarlett, one of yes. the head yes. honchos behind... 2000 Trees Festival, an Arc Tangent Festival, two festivals mm. that I have wanged on about a lot as being so much wanging festivals in the UK. <laughs> so much wanging. Um, James, his preliminary job, I think it's fair to say, or the job he's best known for, let's say, is to book the bands. And he has booked some absolutely astonishing acts over the years. 2000 Trees and Arc Tangent. Oh, let's try and reel these off. Uh, refused come to mind immediately cult of luna come back from time to time converge at the drive-in what have you got coming up this year you, you should know this matt because you do uh, what have we got it. this year uh, yes mm. i do pr and i'm also this year thank you james uh for hiring me uh, a lineup consultant so i help no. james yeah so i help james pick the, basically i love making playlists and he's essentially given me a job sort of making the playlist for uh, for the festival so i work with him we've we got we've got idols headlining yes they played the festival about i think it was 2017 they played very very small stage very you know one of the first bands on and they've in five or so years they've gone on to essentially be the biggest band that's played the festival i mean it's yeah, an amazing yeah, story yeah, pretty much thrice are playing thrice are playing and they're playing Vahisu in full which is my yes. favorite thrice album and they're co-headlining with uh, with turnstile which is uh yes, rather which exciting will be fantastic mm. and then jimmy weld are the other headliners for 2000 trees yes and then arc tangent oh, arc tangent is just an absolutely disgusting bill isn't it you've got opeth cult of luna tesseract mono armin ra absolutely insane bill so yeah they're amazing amazing festivals and we asked James what he wanted to do as top three on, and it's effectively top three riffs. I think it's a little bit more complex than that, but we'll yeah. speak to him and see exactly what it is. I think we should stress they're not his favourite riffs, but they're riffs that maybe shaped his musical taste. But we'll talk with him yeah. in just a moment. I also think he's not saying they're the best riffs. I don't think he's saying they're no. the three best riffs or the three. Yeah, like you say, they're not even at three his three favourite riffs. They're just riffs that, yeah, yeah, like you say, were important to him and his musical journey. Oh dear. Oh dear. I've gone French already. I've got a little bit French. Let's pop over to our conversation with James straight away before we get any more French out of Matt. So this is us talking to James about his top three riffs. Au revoir. <laughs> <laughs> And joining us now is the inimitable James Scarlett, head honcho of 2000 Trees and Arc Tangent Festival. James Scarlett, how are you today? I'm very good, mate. How are you? 
very, very well indeed. It's very nice to see you and your bushy face. Uh, lots of bushy faces. Oh, so much. <laughs> Just all bush. <laughs> I do appreciate that this is an audio medium, but imagine lots of facial foliage happening as we are discussing this. Um, James, you like music and you like riffs, don't you? That is true. Both of those things are true. <laughs> what makes a great riff in your opinion? Well, I mean, that has changed a lot, I think, over the years for me, mm. So, which we'll probably get onto, I guess. But what originally would have made a great riff in the kind of 60s, 70s, 80s rock sense of it would be, you know, uh, three to five notes that are really, really catchy. The Rage Against the Machine version of a riff, the Bon Jovi version of a riff. Um, oh, yeah. And that, I guess that was what I would originally have said. And as I've sort of moved through the genres of rock and metal over the years, that is less of less interest to me. And now I would say what makes a great riff is something that I can't get first time and it probably makes me feel a bit confused. And but when I eventually get it, it's like seeing through the then I it's 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 much more layered. It sounds like you're describing jazz, James. It sounds like you're describing well, jazz. I don't want to. I'm not. I, I sometimes you don't wonder. get it at first, and it's very layered, <laughs> and then pop, jazz. <laughs> jazz might be my logical endpoint in my musical journey. I hope definitely, not. It definitely will. It definitely will, James. <laughs> That's interesting, though, because what you are describing there is. I mean, forgive me if I'm filling in things which are incorrect, but a riff that was good to you when you started really becoming invested in music was something that was more instantaneous and more hooky and immediately like maybe uh made you move or made you want to move or something like that and as time has progressed you have become more interested in the more the more complex sort of stuff which maybe you don't get straight away but upon many 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 listens it becomes more appealing to you is that accurate yeah 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 absolutely and but then i guess uh, yes, but then I'm sort of already backtracking on myself because bands I listen to like Cold Luna and Armin Ra, maybe a good riff for them is just something that is just really slow and just makes you feel like concrete's like washing over your head. And it's a completely different thing. It's not complicated. It's just slow and heavy and I don't know. So I'm going to answer your question again. There is no such thing as an answer to what makes a great riff. It's multiple ah. different, multiple different things. Depends on genre. There you go. It really does. You're absolutely right. For the sake of uh, anyone who doesn't know exactly what we're talking about, what is all this riff nonsense that you're talking about? I'm going to take the first sentence from the Wikipedia entry to riff. A riff is a repeated chord progression or refrain in music, also known as an ostinata figure in classical music. It is a pattern or melody often played by the rhythm section instruments or solo instrument that forms the basis or accompaniment of a musical composition. It's a repeated musical phrase, basically. So I don't know, The Smells Like Teen Spirit has a great riff on it, or Enter Sandman. Metal is really known for riffs. I know that you have a, a, a huge interest in metal and uh, the way that it's progressed and all that sort of thing over the years, James. We kind of all do, don't we, I think. But yes, it's certainly a big part of the metal genre. But in terms of the particular riffs that you've chosen for this podcast, this isn't really your top three favourite riffs, is it? It's either the top three riffs that have maybe formed your well musical journey as uh, as matt called bonjour, it bonjour. <laughs> but basically have uh, the three riffs that have made up you as an individual is that too wanky a way to put it it is too wanky isn't yes it? it's but, absolutely you know too wanky <laughs> yes it is like are these the riffs that made the man <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean uh, is that is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the you know the first one is what got me started, and the other two bands were like massive influences on my music taste, and they sort of took me down new paths. So I think the first I thought you were going to say they took you down to the Paradise City. Then and I was <laughs> going to get really excited. And we were all no, going to quote. No, we were all going to just quote the entire song for the length of the podcast. <laughs> that would be good. I can I can do that, but no, I won't. No. But fine. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, the first one I knew as, as soon as you asked me to do it and we agreed I was going to do top three riffs, I knew the first one I was going to do that because that is, as I'll explain, no doubt, is just the one that got me started. And the other two, the other two were just, I kind of, I knew I wanted to do those bands. 
So I basically spent a day listening to those bands to find the perfect riff from those bands. It's cheating in a way, but you know, you don't want to be obvious. No one needs to hear me say Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine writes yeah. riffs. It's just boring. So it's obvious and true. I don't know if this is the case for you, Matt, but knowing James as well as we do, I was quite surprised. I Basically, I was surprised that it wasn't all like post-metal, um, which is painting you into something which is probably a little bit unfair, James. So I do apologise. Bar your last choice. Well, I suppose your last two, actually. But it didn't immediately scream James Scarlet to me. Did, was that how you felt, Matt, when you got these choices? Were you surprised by James's choices? Oh, yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> they're all a bit of James. The first choice, second choice, third choice. Oh, you thought, okay, okay. No, no, I, I guess I guess I knew, like you just said then, James, I think, so I've read lots and lots, you know, since we we said we were talking about this podcast and what your topic was going to be, and I read a lot about the best riffs, the top riffs or whatever, and there's a phrase that keeps coming back, which is celebrity riff, which is essentially those sort of blockbuster, everybody knows them, everyone can hum those riffs, they form the basis of... Sweet Child of, of Mine, for example. Yeah, so the number one was Whole Lot of Love, Led Zeppelin. Oh, okay. That was, that was yeah, the number yeah, one yeah. on a on a guitar world. But it's got, you know, Hendrix, ACDC, Sabbath, Pantera. And, you know, this is kind of celebrity riff. So I appreciate that you've kind of chosen kind of a musical... God, I'm not going to say Jeanne again. A kind of, a, a you know, you've chosen riffs specific to your personal timeline in terms of music development. I think that makes complete sense. Yeah, and it's just not interesting talking about smoke on the water, is it? Yeah, it's true. So yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, do something a little bit more. And I love arguing with Matt about the wild arts as well, which I'm quite excited about. <laughs> I feel like Renfrew might stick up for me on that, so that'll be good. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I will. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, but let's go to your first choice. What is your first choice for the uh, top three riffs that shaped the man, James Scarlett? <laughs> <laughs> it is um, Decadence Dance by Extreme. Hello. <laughs> so talk, 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 talk us through this, James. Talk us through. I don't this. think anyone saw that coming. Um, no. I mean, basically, I think everyone has this. Everyone in the music industry always has a story about their first bands and it was always like someone cool like oh yeah i was listening to the jesus lizard or nirvana yeah my first album was bleach but my story is not cool and i am happy to stand by it but basically this was 1990 so i was um 12 and my mate left his walkman at my house and i was on the way to school my mate dan i was on the way to school the next day taking his walkman back and i put on his uh what he'd been listening to and unbeknownst to me, his brother had bought him this album. It's called Pornography Um only in the, Of course it is. Only, only in the late 80s, early 90s could you get away with an album title such as Pornography um, yeah, yeah, Absolutely, yeah. But basically, um, Extreme had released this massive mega hit ballad called More Than Words. Yes. My mate's elder brother had bought it for him. So he had the tape. None of us listened to rock music. You know, my, my only sort of rock music would be like my dad listened to like Meatloaf and sort of like not what I would really consider rock music. So I put this on and it starts with uh, like a really long piano intro. There's some thunder in the background. And of course there is. Of course there is. There's a, like a kid sort of calling for a dog or I don't know. We don't, we, who knows what that is. And then, and then just this guitar riff hits. Now, if you're listening to it in 2022, this does not sound like the sound of the future but if you're like 11 or 12 years old and it is 1990 and you've yeah. ever heard bon jovi or motley Crue or def leppard or anything you've not heard slayer or iron maiden and um basically the the riff like knocked my head off i was just like it's like what is that sound and listen, i was just listening back to it today and i now realize that it's, it starts the riff starts with like a pinch harmonic i don't want to get all technical and guitar geeky on you but it's, like, it's that sort of squealy sound yeah. for those uh, kind of thing. That's probably the best way I can describe it in a layman sort of way. Yeah, and it's the most 80s of sounds. And uh, it's just a proper rock riff. It is. And it then gets backed by proper rock drums. Within a couple of seconds of it kicking in, you are, you know, your fists in the air and you are pumping the sky like it's 1984. Um, and, and you look and, down and you're in double denim straight away. <laughs> Yeah. high tops and your hair has just grown 
very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and feminism's taken several steps backwards as well. Oh. Uh, probably. <laughs> but it was. It's hard to. It's hard to imagine that, like the forty-three-year-old me now, could be like going. I've never heard a guitar, a heavy guitar before, but I literally hadn't. And that that start just I went and bought a bunch of similar stuff to it. So I went and bought Bon Jovi. I went and bought the Little Angels, and um, crikey, you know. But it wasn't long, and then I was listening to like Megadeth and Metallica, mm. and then it's just like you know, you just go through the the gears then of sort of all the different genres of types of rock and metal. So this yeah. was it. This was my starting point. This is your first step. I'm going to say now that I am not embarrassed by that. And I think this song is amazing. And I think this riff is amazing. And I listen to this album at least once a year. I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> I don't think you should be embarrassed about it at all. You actually mentioned just there my first album that I ever bought, which was Meatloaf, Out of Hell 2. And, you know, I don't listen to Meatloaf on a regular basis now. As we are recording this podcast, Meatloaf sadly passed away a few days ago. And I was quite um, surprised at how moved I was by his passing. Considering that I am not, you know, I would not consider myself a Meatloaf fan at all these days. Bat Out of Hell 2 is the only album that I ever parted money with to listen to. You know, I have heard the others over... I have heard many of the others over the years but i wouldn't consider myself a meatloaf fan but i think because of the fact that it was the first vaguely well it was the first cd i ever purchased it was the first vaguely rocky thing that i ever encountered and yes put me on the path towards you know then guns and roses then metallica then everything else that it opened up to me I get that completely and utterly. And, 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 you know, when I listen to I'd do every, anything for love, but I won't do that, I probably get more enjoyment out of it than someone who hasn't gone through that, you know, uh, I would imagine. So I, I completely understand that. And, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm actually going to stand up for the record in the surprise wow. shock of this early part of the podcast. Wow. I'm two years older than you, James, so I should have known better, but I actually bought this... <laughs> Uh, and I was already listening to, you know, Metallica and, and stuff. And I bought this because I really liked the single. I think it was the first single, which is the album title track. And it had a really fun video. And at the time when I was 14, I was very much into guitarists. I thought I was into guitarists. So Nuno Betancourt, who's the guitarist of this band, is phenomenal. A phenomenal guitarist. And... I think this is one of those records, I'm not going to say weird records, this is one of those records that sort of, for my friend group, even though when we were 14 we were into Pantera and Anthrax and it was just pre-grunge, so it was sort of heavy music, but, you know, not hair metal. And this was one of those records that sort of just slipped under the door for us and we all sort of gravitated towards it because of Nuno and his ability, I think. You know, I think he was he's just an incredible guitarist. And, you know... I think the album will probably always be remembered for more than words, which is a banger. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think the album is filled with great riffs. I think you you made a really good point there. Actually, I mean, you shocked me. That's great. Thanks. I love. Thanks. It. Um, Thanks. <laughs> you made a great point that I hadn't really thought about. This album is heavier and it's got a dirtier guitar tone than bands yeah. like yeah. bands like Motley Crue have. That's true, actually. So it is actually a more like I'm going to say hard rock than than some of those other kind of soft 80s bands so yeah it, 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 it definitely i know th- i think that's accurate and i would also say that whilst this isn't my this kind of stuff isn't my cup of tea and i think these days it's not your cup of tea either james no. um but whilst this stuff isn't my cup of tea at all i would much rather listen to extreme than i would listen to poison motley crew I mean, a million of those other bands. And that's because there is that hardness in it. There is that edge to it, which is just a little bit more uh, extreme than the other stuff. Hmm. I mean, when, when hey, I didn't plan that. And I think, you know, I, I think that is really apparent. Even in this song and this song alone, that really came across to me. So, yeah. yeah. It's also got that, I don't know how, how much I want to stake my reputation on Nuno Betancourt, but... He, the guitar it. playing, if you listen to the this whole song, the what he's doing at, at times is absolutely ridiculous. The way he like plays around with the riffs and then suddenly puts in a, 
about a zillion notes. He's like, he's a proper, as Matt said, he is a proper guitarist. And he's played yeah, with a bunch yeah. of people since then. He plays with Perry Farrell, I think. Yeah. And a lo- load of others. Um, He's like, you know, very well respected. Yeah, I think, I can't remember if it was, if it was Nuno or if it was the guitarist from Mr. Big. Paul What's Gilbert. It? Paul Gilbert. Mm. So I saw both Extreme and Mr. Big live when I was, you know, whenever young. And I can't remember if it was Extreme or Mr. Big, but one of their songs was called The Drill Song. And the guy played the guitar with a, a, a drill with a with a guitar pick on the drill. Yeah. So he would like <laughs> let it go round and round and play the solo. like. And I just, even though it wasn't anywhere near as heavy as the stuff that I really liked, I just thought that was unbelievably cool. Yeah. I just totally got suckered into it. That was Mr. Big, I'm pretty sure. Big, we, would have been yeah. good, we would have been good friends back in those days. I, I, I also saw both those fans live and all the others that sound like them. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Extreme, yeah. actually, after getting this, this was my first ever gig at the, uh, the NEC in 1992. My first gig that my parents hadn't taken me to, as in, wasn't something they liked. It was something I liked. How was that then? You, what your memories of that? Um, amazing. I can I can actually remember they started with you know when the bands have like a curtain up so you can't see anything, and then yeah. the the curtain drops. It's quite an eighties trip, I guess. But bands still do it now. The curtain drops. They do. And you see it all kick in. So the only thing I can really remember is the first song and that happening and just being amazing and us basically just singing all the words and thinking it was great. And yeah, sweet. Aren't gigs great? Aren't gigs bloody great? They are. I've seen a few bands recently do that. I mean, my friends in Arch- my friends in architects are such. A tw- I've seen architects do it, but my favourite, apart from architects, uh, band that I've seen do it in the last ten or so years, uh, was when Refused first came back, and they did that oh, first tour, yes. and they had a curtain, and there was a light behind the curtain that sort of. And, and music playing like orchestral music playing and it would slowly build up and up and up and up and up and the light would shine and a logo would sort of appear and then there was just one moment where the curtain would drop and they'd start and there'd be like a, a floor spotlight on each member of the band that would just kind of shine up oh, it was just it was just i'm just a sucker for that sort of very simple stage craft i think it's i think it's awesome so yeah, yeah. 12 13 14 year old mac hughes loving a bit of that loving a bit of curtain drops the curtain drop is one of the most powerful statements you can make as a band in a live setting i think i I think it still works really really well and that's a great example of it and i think uh, the the kind of uh the sort of 80s rocker in me from when i started has affected what i like in a live show now because i still like going to like a download and seeing a band like rammstein or iron maiden who i particularly Ramstein never listened to, but can mm. just watch the show and it being, you know, doesn't have to be pretentious post-metal all the time. Do you know what I mean? If you've got a big show, I'll go and see anyone. Don't care. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. So let's move on to your second pick, James. Uh, you sort of already revealed who the band is, at least. But uh, tell us which Wild Hearts song you have uh, gone for. Um, this is Inglorious by the Wild Hearts. I mean, it's a bit of a cheat because... It's not really a riff rather than just like a sort of feast of about a million riffs. I was going to ask you which riff are we talking well, about I mean, specifically because there are it, several on here. It's, it's, a, it's a pick and mix. It's a pick and mix of a song. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's, I've basically cheated. I mean, the, the, kind, the, the, ver, the sort of the riff just before the verse or the, like the yeah. intro riff, which comes back and back and back over and over again, mm-hmm. is the one. But actually, the, you know, the best bit of the song is the end where there's about a thousand riffs and it's kind of got this riff in it a bit mm. but then it speeds it up and then is it even the same riff anymore and you it's actually a classic wild arts ending where it's got like an amazing middle eight and then a thousand riffs and you're yes. left like isn't is this not the best band in the world i mean the wild hearts had a massive impact on my musical taste because they in a very poppy way they showed me what progressive music was i think like the three album this is the third of three albums in a row that are all in their own ways quite progressive and they have long songs and long song structures and loads of tons of riffs and there's like five or six or 20 riffs in each song and i think this is probably the best version of all of that it's like my more or less my favorite wild arts song um and i just wanted i i spent <laughs> i spent so much time like chatting about the latest 
post metal band that's playing trees or the latest pop uh sorry arc tangent or the latest pop rock band that's playing trees and i never get to speak about one of my favorite bands ever it's basically the wild arts and i just love them so much and this song is it's just amazing i think it's a great song it's saw them live in bristol about a month ago and they played this for the encore and i was just like oh yeah oh sweet one of the best bands in the world matt you agree with that don't you so i i have i have a strange <laughs> so i have a strange relationship with the wild hearts i probably should like them and i know them quite well and you know they were sort of you know because you know they've been around for a while and they were making quote unquote good music when a lot of sort of the british rock underground or whatever didn't really exist and it was all pretty terrible um so i should like them more than i do but i you know i just i just haven't connected with it i like this song i mean it's very there's a bit of tool in there there's a bit of early metallica there's a bit of punk there's a bit of sort of throwing everything at a wall sort of thing um yeah i don't know why i don't know why and i really like ginger i i I, you know i find him really brutally honest and fascinating and you know his lyrics are, are great um, I don't know why I just haven't connected with the band. I'm not sure, you know, I don't know why. I'm sorry. I will say, <laughs> I, I'm I'm the mediator here because I like Wild Hearts a lot, but I don't love them in the way that James loves them. I think it is sort of surprising from what I know, from what we know of your musical tastes, Matt, that the Wild Hearts have never hit you in that way because, you know, it feels like it has all the ingredients of many other things that you really, really love. But one thing I will say is it did take me a little while with the Wild Hearts because when I first heard them, I was just like, this is just like a lot of that other classic rock, like retro classic rock stuff that I often dismiss and I'm not particularly into. And on, on a very, very, very surface level, I think you can see it as that. But as James says, if you get into the intricacies of it and where the i mean i can't think of many of those classic rock bands that stuffed as many riffs into one of their albums that are into in this song let alone you know just one of their songs it's pretty extraordinary and yeah i i think something that you just said there james about how they managed to get you into more progressive rock stuff but in a poppier sense that makes an awful lot of sense to me I don't think anyone would ever call Wild Hearts a prog band. But some of the structures and some of the songs and some of the things that they do have very strong progressive elements. And to call them a progressive band, I guess they're a progressive band with a kind of retro sound in a strange way. They are an odd outlier, Wild Hearts. And I think that's why I have learned to love them because of that outlierness. And one the wonderful thing about them is they're still doing great stuff the last wild hearts album i thought was absolutely wonderful i don't know your feelings on it james but i well, thought it was great well so. i mean it was very nearly my album of the year i'm gonna be honest oh wow it has brought me such joy to listen to the wild arts with so much fire in their belly and just like mm. you know sometimes you no matter what you listen to you can't deny the fact that your brain wants you to put a certain thing on it's like my I just wanted to put that album on all year mm. and and I still do and it's like I you know I should be listening to this or should be listening to that and I'm like can I just put, should just put that Wild Arts album on again which is basically a sign that you love it right and yeah I just think the combination of um I mean it's a very classic Wild Arts album it's got all the things you love about them but the combination yeah, of does. melody and guitars and weirdness progression and stuff is just great and uh they got no business. I mean, they, I don't know how old they are, but they've got to be in their 50s. they got no business being that good anymore, I don't think. Most fans aren't that good anymore when they're that old. And so, yeah, I think it's great. And yeah. in fact, I'm going to say it's probably their fourth best album after the three from the 90s. That sounds like damning with faint praise. <laughs> I think this is their fourth best album. <laughs> they've, they've, long, they've made five <laughs> albums. <laughs> it's a long career. A long... They have had a long career, yeah. So you're saying oh, okay. Earth versus... Uh, Fuck. Well, it's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, a, a P-H-U-Q. Yeah. 
pronounced fuck and what, <gasps> what's uh, an endless nameless are you fishing fishing for lucky so this fishing for lucky this, this, this song it, yeah. is the song we're talking about is off fishing for luckies yeah they were the sort of band that pro- they, they torpedoed their own career on a number of occasions yes and one of the ways they did it is they signed to major label after earth versus and they brought them a double album and the and the label were like what are you, what are you doing and like, we've got a double album and so the label released um phuq Yes. As a single album, and the Wild Arts had a bunch of songs of what the, the the label didn't want, and this is one of them. And the, and so the Wild Arts just went on their own and just self-released, fishing for luckies to their fan club, basically. And it, you know, you can now buy it in the shops, but then you couldn't, you couldn't get it. Yeah. You had to mail order it from the band, and it's got some of their best songs, probably three or four of them. They still play live every every night of the week. That really pissed off the label, and uh, yeah, you know, that, I mean their career. You know, frankly, I'm going to, I think that you're going to laugh at me, but I think they're better than the Foo Fighters. They're as good as Guns N' Roses. You know, basically, I think the Wild Arts should have been the biggest band in the world and they never were because they just didn't give a fuck. I mean, in terms of like the amount of quality material they've put out, it's difficult to argue. Like, I adore Guns N' Roses, but Wild Arts have released like three times as many albums as Guns N' Roses ever did so you know I'll give them that and in terms of Foo Fighters I mean the records that are good are incredible but there's also the stuff that they've released in the last 10 years which is just incredibly average and yeah I mean I I don't actually think that's a ridiculous shout to be honest at all I think they probably are at least the equal of those bands great I'm quite in that that's good and you do too Matt right I mean, I mean, you're absolutely bombed, <laughs> quite, fr- quite frankly. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that they bring people joy. And yeah, I, I follow Jin. I follow the singer on social media, and I, I find him absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And he seems like a, a really interesting, smart, deep human being, and I like it. Proper decent dude. Um, shall we move on to your? Final choice and your favourite band, I believe, James, before uh, this causes a massive rift between our friendship. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, the Mars Volta. Cotopaxi, I presume is how you pronounce it. Yeah, let's go with that. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I mean, this they're not a riff band, are they? They're my favourite band. And I was just mm. like, I have to have the Mars Volta. So I spent like a day listening to the Mars Volta. And yeah, this is a riff and a half. I mean, they're a band that I think, basically, of their like six albums, two of them are clear, like 10 out of 10. You can't do better than that. The others are all nines, apart from maybe one eight. And it's like, it's basically like they have the highest quality. They've never done anything shit. They're amazing. But they don't really write riffs. But this is a riff. And I really like it because you can really hear John Frusciante playing the wah in the background. If you If you put it on, he is just like, going um so for anyone who doesn't know um probably lots of people john shanti's from the chili peppers but he's played the the guitar on most mars volta albums and there are some mars volta albums where he's the only one playing guitar um so they like they do this crazy thing where he doesn't know the songs he hasn't heard the songs he comes into the studio they teach him the song and he plays it straight away and that's it it's basically like he's so good that they just go play the song Hmm. and he just plays it one or two takes and it's done and if you listen to this song the wire in the background is him just going mad but then the, the main riff is just a an absolute banger but you, if you try and count it it's just miles volta screwing with your head because at first it sounds like it's like a really just simple oh this is really simple for the miles volta but what time signature is the riff in mm. google didn't seem to know the answer. a lot of their riffs sound like they're walking up some stairs that's how I describe Mars Volta riffs. They sort of like, you know, or, or they're walking into the kitchen to get something and then they walk out and then they, they forget that they went to get something else. So they go back in. So it's like, like that. And that's the Mars Volta riff. I love the Mars Volta. That's, that's a, 
That's a big compliment. I love the Mars Volta. Yeah, all three of us love the Mars Volta. I, I thought yeah. I think this is um, probably the most seventies cop TV show Mars Volta have ever sounded. And actually, they've sounded seventies cop TV show quite often in their career. There's a few amputecture mm. moments uh, where they're quite where it's like, oh, that sounds like it could be the Rift of Starsky and Hutch or something like that. Um, but this has this really has that kind of feel to it as well and um yeah i mean it, this is a fantastic i'm really glad you picked a song off of octahedron as well because i think for my money it may well be the most underrated mars volta album it was their fifth album a lot of people had kind of got a little bit fed up of the mars volta at this point because they could be incredibly hit and miss live like when they hit they were extraordinary but when they were miss it was really it could be quite taxing and uh i mean i'm not sure if you feel that way or not james possibly not but um yeah you can see where i'm coming from so i think a lot of people had kind of dropped off at this point but octahedron is actually a really fantastic fairly perfectly formed album in lots of ways i think probably the most ambient mars volta album i mean ambient in this case it's not strictly applicable but you know it's the most chilled that they'd ever been yeah i believe they even sort of tongue-in-cheek called it their acoustic album at the time i mean it's really not that at all Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but you know it's actually not a bad one for newbies i don't think in lots of ways octahedron in that sense it hasn't got like the um it doesn't have some of the sort of bangers on it that there is on other albums, which I think is why it gets sort because although they're a really weird band, they have they do have kind of hits in a way on most of their albums. But I would say this yeah. one probably doesn't, and it is much more chilled out. And actually, this song is by far the like fastest and most insistent yeah. song. But yeah, the album in itself is it's not an acoustic. Album. I mean, Tadric called it a pop album and, and Omar called it an acoustic album. And it's not either of those. Yeah, yeah, no. no. If, if anything, those are two words that you wouldn't use to describe this record. If you could cho- if, if you could use words to describe this record, acoustic, chilled, yeah. Um, so I have a thing about this riff and I'm going to bring it up now. I'm just going to say it now. I think it sounds incredible. And I don't know who wrote it first. I think this riff sounds incredibly like a song by the Propellerheads called Spy Break. I think it's incredibly close. Now, on that song, it's played on a bass. I'll just do it. a pretend very high up. Ooh, slap it a bass, man. Yeah. Bass. But I don't know if either of you know it. It's from the big Propellerheads record, you know, with history repeating and stuff. But Spy Break was one of the first singles. And I think the riff sounds almost identical. Mm. And you should both go and listen to it after we've recorded this. And you can text me later and be like, yeah, Matt, you're great. You know everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not familiar with Propellerheads. I'll be I'm not all that familiar with their stuff. I'll be honest. So I, I don't know. That, well, you're, but... you're quite young. So hey. it was it was 90s, 90s, big beat pop crossover-y sort of you know when air and you know um fat boy slim and it was it was kind of when that sort of stuff started permeating the the charts and david arnold started doing the james bond soundtracks and stuff it was that sort of vibe mm. but yeah it's a it's 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 an incredibly similar riff okay cool but yes i think look i'm trying to say it i think i think the riff for the for the mars volta is is quite not simple but it it's it, it is a, a like a contained riff i think which is quite rare i think for those guys um and i think that's why it works so well and i i mean i love this song i think it's It's fantastic you must have had other mars volta riff contenders though james just knowing your love for the band and the fact that you've actually you know just admitted that you spent the entire day listening to them which doesn't sound any different to any of your other days i don't think if your reputation precedes you but um there must have been other contenders i mean the main one was goliath because mm, that, yeah. that song actually sounds like Tom Morello is on it, yeah. although he isn't. I mean, it's like a yeah. very Rage Against the Machine Mars Volta riff, I think. And if I was ever going to show someone the Mars Volta, like, what do they sound like? I think that song's perfect because it's got all the mad, the mad crazy bit at the end. And um, mm. but yeah, so there was that, and also um, Elvia Vas. Yeah, it's got. Okay, and that's got really amazing John Fashanti crazy <laughs> wire on it. Um, so yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, I could go on. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I'm roulette dares. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not just singing Mars Volta riffs, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a there are. Whilst you're, I think you're right. The riffs aren't the first thing you think of with Mars Volta. There are actually quite a few to choose from if you go throughout their career. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, what an incredible band. let's head on over to the recommendation corner i think james it's probably only fair as you're our guest for you to tell us your recommendation first what what do you have for our recommendation corner well i was good i was gonna do something non-musical and i bottled it at mm. the last minute because okay. I, basically only, I only do musical things so my recommendation is uh, a book called sing backwards and weep from mark lanagan so he, he's done two books the other one is a new one which is called devil in a coma and it's about his experience with COVID is pretty fascinating. He's in hospital going mad basically for three months. Mm. His books, Sing Backwards and Weep, is really quite heavy. It is very real. It's not a rock star story. It's a story of a man addicted to heroin. Um, I'm not bringing this to you to lighten your days. But anyone who's a fan of him, of which I'm a big fan, the book is amazing. And the shit he gets up to and the stuff he's done is like, it's not like, you know, all those like, Motley Crue book and Ozzy's book and you know all that it's not like that it's like the, the dark side of it I think it's brilliant and I'd recommend anyone who likes him to read it I have just picked also. this book up actually and I'm really really curious to read it it's a memoir effectively isn't it so it's yep. not kind of it's not a traditional autobiography but sort of almost like a heroin diary except you know better than Nikki Six's but yeah I'm very very curious to read it you're a big Mark Lanigan fan I assume Matt surely i'm mm. a huge yeah i mean screaming trees were my mm. they were my grunge band mm. do you know what i mean mm. like mm. everyone had nirvana or or you know alice in chains or whatever but you know after that first initial wave the sub pop wave of those kind of grunge bands and when grunge kind of took over the world and screaming trees got signed to um epic and released um sweet oblivion mm -hmm. it was just that it was a moment for me and i I adore them, you know, Uncle Anesthesia is, I just, I just think they're wonderful and his voice is incredible and he got me into uh, Queens, Queens of the Stone Age as well by his association. Yeah. I just think he's brilliant, you yeah. know, and his solo, solo output, um, I started on Bubblegum, I think that's the first, sort of, my first yeah. point and um, it's just wonderful, it's just yeah. brilliant. Bubblegum is a great starting point for his solo material, definitely, because it can be a little bit, um, He's got so many solo records now. It can be a bit daunting to know where to go. Mm. And so I think Bubblegum is a good starting point. I'd also like to shout out Whiskey for the Holy Ghost, though, which is yeah. uh, a little uh, probably less easy to get into. But I think that's probably my personal favourite now. But yeah, I, you can't go too far wrong with his solo output, to be totally honest. He's done some fantastic things. And one of the most phenomenal voices in... I'm going to oh, yeah. call it grunge. I don't really know. I mean, I don't even know what grunge fucking is, to be honest with you. But I'm going to... It's an era. It's <laughs> yeah, an era. it's an era. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll talk... You know, you could talk about it not being a genre, but it was yeah. an era in, in exactly. time. Like, yeah. It's know. pretty... But the, the book's pretty fascinating on him because it's like he doesn't... Almost he gives you the impression that he's not like a musician in the sense of like thinking of himself as a songwriter or really getting the process. It was like they had a band and they, he could sing and he just sang on it. And it, mm. I mean, I don't know if you saw the press after the album, after the book came out, but yeah. it was pretty harsh about the rest of the band. I keep joking with my mates. In 2021, every album I listened to, he he was on a track. He's basically on every album in the world ever last year. Well, he was on the Cult of Lunar EP, wasn't he? Yeah. Which is a bit of you, isn't it, James? Absolutely. So yeah, yeah, and did a brilliant job on that record. Amazing. Um, not a not a. Uh, an obvious collaboration at all but one which worked so perfectly i thought yeah. um yeah amazing he's on the best song on that manic street preachers album last year as well it's not a very good album but um yeah, that yeah. song was brilliant shock <laughs> oh well uh. <laughs> the manic street preachers yeah matt doesn't like manic street preachers Mate. uh 96 <laughs> come on 94 94 <laughs> Yeah, it's Holy Bible, isn't it? Mm. Um, I'm actually going to talk about my recommendation corner next, just because A, mine's a book as well, and B, whilst I haven't read Sing Backwards and Weep, 
I suspect that this book I'm going to re recommend is even more depressing and depraved and difficult to read than Sing Backwards and Weep because it is a, a book which has been out for quite a long time. I think it was first published in the late 80s, but it's one that I've just discovered quite recently due to jumping on the true crime bandwagon, really. It's called Happy Like Murderers, and it's the story of Fred and Rose West, uh, which is probably even more disturbing than Sick back Backwards and Weep. Um, I think the majority of people, certainly in the UK, are at least aware of Fred and Rose West. I'm not going to go into the details of what they did, but they were serial killers, and they were from the west country or they they operated in the west country actually around areas where i grew up which was part of the reason that i became interested in it it's also probably i think when you talk about the most horrendous true crime stories of all time i think fred and rose west sort of have to come up the manner in which gordon burns the author talks about what they did and presents it in the manner that Fred West in particular would speak is really quite disturbing. I've had to get to the point now where I can't read this book just before I go to bed because it was giving me some pretty nasty nightmares. Um, this is meant to be a recommendation corner, isn't it? But it is a fantastic book. It's It's so brilliantly put together and I feel like every single page has a revelation which will just completely shock and even appall you in a sense but it's gripping it's just really really gripping and it's very difficult not to get sucked up in 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 how depraved the human spirit can be if you're into that sort of thing I can appreciate that some people might be like why on earth would I want to read about that but I just I just find it intrinsically absolutely fascinating that two people could do the things that they did and in the manner that they did and effectively just coming from you know a small town in the middle of nowhere it's it's sort of a very interesting insight into into that kind of behavior and the sort of people who would do those sort of things which to me is fascinating whichever way whichever way you look at it so yeah that's my rather rather disturbing probably most macabre recommendation i've ever put forward for a recommendation was that a christmas present renfrey because because that's got to be a real downer <laughs> when you're opening that up i think it was a christmas present actually tuck into a mince pie read <laughs> about the west the sort of thing i like <laughs> i i'd had i'd christmas. i'd had it on i'd had it on my um on a wish list for quite a while because i think it was a podcast that i listened to which was talking about it and just the manner in which they were talking about it i thought that does sound really interesting and it it was one of those books that i i started flicking through it over christmas just as a kind of like well i've just got this and i'm gonna look through it but then i wasn't expecting to actually start reading it but i started reading the intro and then i was like well i'll just read the first chapter and then i ended up actually reading it and yeah it was my christmas reading um but it is absolutely haunting and fascinating and a fascinating insight into very depraved people it's it's really unbelievable but it is fascinating i enjoy the television show only murders in the building with steve oh. martin um <laughs> which is a show on disney i think and it's steve martin and the actor from Inner Space that I've completely forgotten the name of now. Dennis Quaid? Um, no, no, the, the comedian from... God, this is podcast is just my age. Okay. Slowly <laughs> wearing glasses and forgetting the name. Anyway, it's essentially three people. They live in a really fancy building in New York and uh, a murder happens and they decide to record a, a podcast whilst they're trying to solve this murder. Mm. It's really good. It's very light. It's very fun but yeah no i'm not i'm not personally i'm not into it james are you into this whole murder stuff no my, my, are, you into, my, are you into murder my, my fiance absolutely loves it so most evenings is spent with me sat next to her on the couch and i've got like one headphone on and one headphone off and i'm like listening to armin ra and she's and i'm kind of half not really following the program but she absolutely loves it so i will recommend the book to her 
Um, no, it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't. True crime doesn't do it for me. It's a bit of a classic in in the true crime sort of scene. I don't know if it's even a scene, but like in that kind of area, it's it's a bit of a classic. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating story. Uh, Matt, your recommendation. So to light the mood, I was going to recommend uh, the movie Encanto, uh, which is possibly the greatest film ever made. But I'm not going to. I'm going to recommend a podcast, and I'm going to recommend a podcast that most people. A lot of people have already heard of, but it's one that I've only just sort of gotten into. And that is the Off Menu podcast. Oh, it's fantastic. Mm. So uh, just for people that maybe don't know what the podcast is, the Off Menu podcast is a creation from the comedians James Acaster and Ed Gamble. Um, And I guess the basic crux is they have guests come on and they talk about their dream meal. Uh, in a dream imaginary restaurant and then Ed and James and James is also playing a genie in the podcast for some for some <laughs> reason um, and they kind of yeah they have a really smart and precise format and it allows the presenters to use this kind of menu and food angle to kind of get inside the guests minds and as well as sort of you know basically talking about really delicious food from all over the place yeah I love it it's great it, my my wife Katie it was a huge fan and then after we watched all of um, Taskmaster I really got into James Acaster as a comedian mm. and um, they just got some great guests that Sam from Architects was a guest they've got Jason Reitman the director plus his dad Ivan loads of comedians Jack D Bob Mortimer Asim Chowdhury Rosie Jones actors and celebrities Edgar Wright Simon Amstel Dan Aykroyd did a mental one mm. like a completely crackers Martin Freeman even the nation's gym teacher slash fake Essex bit on the side Joe Wicks did, did one and it was very good <laughs> they had Corey Taylor on it as well didn't they I think I think Corey Taylor did an episode if I, if I remember correctly I'll double check that before this goes out I yeah. do know Ed, 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 Ed is a very large heavy metal fan in fact he did tweet james recently that he's bought some tickets to arc tangent which which is rather fabulous i haven't sent him anything you should probably upgrade him in some way oh wow i should should probably do my job people keep um people keep sending me whatsapp saying oh yeah ed gambles has mentioned you again because i think he's got quite a few different podcasts if i'm right yeah and he just did a live podcast with um with Craig, uh, who does the Downbeat, which is another great podcast, um, and they did it at the Signature Brew, and he did a stand-up show at the Black Heart, and they released it on vinyl. He's just he's just really cool. Mm. But yeah, look, the podcast is great. There's a lot of kind of product chatter. There's like you know, jokey adverts, and it is sometimes all about sort of banter rather than the chat. But it's really really funny, like laugh out loud funny, and really sweet. And the last episode that I listened to was a comedian called Bridget Christie. Yes. Um, and she is amazing. Yeah. And without spoiling that episode, the menu that she talks about is 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 not fancy at all. It's not it's not anything at all like sexy, but it's very family orientated and it's it's a lot about her personal history and, and I bawled my eyes out <laughs> listening to this podcast uh on the tube or the the train and yeah it's just it's just a brilliant podcast and i would recommend it to anyone that has any passing interest in words it's amazing how emotional that podcast can become isn't it yeah it's just out of the yeah. um just out of the basic premise of talking about your fantasy meal uh it, it is it is extraordinary and i completely yeah. back you and I, james acaster is one of my favorite comedians in the country and i think ed Definitely. gamble is absolutely fantastic and i love the fact that he sticks up for metal on sometimes quite mainstream mm. platforms as well um yeah. are you yeah, fam- great. Are you familiar with the podcast james or um, or james or ed gamble um do you know ramfrey there's only one podcast i listen to and it is your <laughs> other podcast there we go there we go all right well what can i say uh riot uh, lovely stuff <laughs> i was gonna do a plug but i, I bottled it good uh, lord he paid me to say that um I, I i had one thing it's not recommendation corner for everyone else but it's for you two um mm. if you haven't already listened to the weege dude album oh i yes i did hear that the other day members of Oathbreaker. it's black metal oh. but it it's unbelievable oh. 
not like weed, weed dude. Weed, weed dude. Yeah, it's got it's spelled W I E G E D O O D. I believe is the spelling. Yes. Oh, good lord. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a link later. Listen to it. Nice. I will. I will. Awesome. Well, James, thank you so much for coming onto the show and uh, going through the top three riffs that made the man. Uh, that is what this has become now. Um, and it's an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Um, where can people get tickets for 2000 Trees and Arc Tangent Festival if they so choose to do that? They can go to Google and write those names into Google. <laughs> The internet, Renfrey. The, the internet. internet. Yes, that's a very well answered, internet. and that's probably what most people would do anyway, rather than typing in HTTP semicolon slash slash etc etc. James, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, James. And there we have it. Our conversation with James Scarlet on his top three riffs that shaped his musical tastes kind of we just about figured that out through the chat i think uh some interesting choices there right matt and by interesting i mean choices that neither of us liked that much (laughs) they were coming out left to center and the middle of the center and the right of the center they were coming out from everywhere (laughs) and entering the center and then making me slightly more confused but we love you james and it was a wonderful chat no, it was, fant- it was fantastic and it's fascinating. As someone, you know, who, well, we both know him quite well and his musical yeah. taste, it's quite interesting to see where it all comes from. If you like the show, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at 3magicnumberpod. Let's toodle over to the socials right now to see what top threes people have been giving us. Matthew, please yes, take it away. Let's, let's saunter in a gentle but firm way over to Tuesday Top 3 and this gentle week... Gentle but firm. Gentle yeah, but firm. Yeah, gentle but firm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely I was just wondering gentle if, but firm. Yeah, I was just trying to think if that was an oxymoron or not, but it's not really. No, no. no. That that gentle but firm is a nice way to describe someone who is an attentive lover, maybe, perhaps. Oh, Hello. I'm so pleased you went there. Hello. So, yes, so this <laughs> Tuesday's Top 3, uh, I asked people what their top three memories of watching TV as a kid were. Very nice. It's a good one, right? So we have got Rich Lenthal has said watching Chuckle Vision over my grandparents after school every time my granddad would say, Oh, not these idiots again. <laughs> <laughs> chuckle Chuckle Vision. Um, oh, Chuckle Vision. Saturday night gladiators and TV dinner of hot dogs. Nice. Mm. And uh, The Simpsons when it used to be on the BBC two, followed by Ren and Stimpy. Magic. Oh yes, very nice double bill there. Yeah, lovely. Hidden Mothers, the band, not the mm-hmm. um, you know mothers that are hiding. Uh, waking up, <laughs> waking up super early to watch. I think it's Jason and the World Warriors. They've written Jace, but I think it's Jason and the World Warriors on Channel Four before the big breakfast started. Being genuinely stressed out by the evil Green Power Rangers saga, and slightly later watching P Rock and discovering a slew of underground bands. Now I didn't know what P Rock was. Do you know? what right. p-rock is no no no, no I don't. Um, apparently it was a short-lived cable tv channel where hidden mothers discovered hot water music snapcase and sick of it all and all sorts of that sort of stephen hill music as i like to call it <laughs> yeah. what angry angry disaffected youth music yes <laughs> yeah so lo- lovely uh fellow podcaster mark woodyett hello mark uh he has gone classic he's just gone thundercats ghostbusters round the twist boom this is the kind of thing that i really want to hear yeah especially thundercats exactly alex bradley has gone gladiators another gladiators uh man united versus Bayern munich 99 uh uh, the champions league final of course the greatest football game of all time and friends uh Uh, what else we got we got a bunch of stuff we got neighbors uh my lovely wife katie p has gone with top of the pops the a team and another one for the um the world warriors a popular cartoon series, Renfrey. Hmm. Oh, okay. Giant idiot Adam Vallely has gone with Zig and Zag, Mr. Blobby, and Football Italia. He's he's gone with a whole load of flavours. He's, he's just like a little smorgasbord of of tastes. I don't mean it, Adam. You're a delight. He's trying to get my vote there by yeah. uh, voting for Mr. Blobby because uh, what a legend Mr. Blobby is. I feel like I've based a lot of my life on him. What a pink rubbery legend. <laughs> Not Mr. Blobby, you went free. No, I'm just joking. Of course I'm joking. I'm fairly pink, I'm fairly rubbery. My friend John Devaney <laughs> has gone with Dogtanian, Count Ducula and Danger Mouse. Three Great absolute picks. wonderful picks. Great yeah. picks. Count Ducula... Oh, I love Count Dracula so much and Dogtanian. Yes, yes, amazing. And and Danger Mouse, they're all brilliant. Yep. 
Um, and do you know what? I, I think I'll just go one more, and that is Bradders seven seventy seven or Bradders seven seven one has gone. Timmy Mallet, who weirdly went mm. to college with my uncle. Whoa! Side fact, just there. Dog Tanyan, another shout for Dog Tanyan, and his nice. number two, Super Ted, ripping off his actual fur to reveal his superhero suit. Even at six, you knew that it wasn't right. <laughs> <laughs> And that's true. And thank you, everyone. That was a marvellous selection of wonderful choices over there Mm. in the corner of Tuesday Top 3. Yeah, very, very nice indeed. Thank Mm. you so much for listening this far into the show. If you don't want to miss any episodes, please subscribe and you'll get all these conversations downloaded immediately to the device device, device device of your chosen. (gasps) Next week, we're going to have the guest that we were supposed to have this week. We are. Someone behind the scenes, me, did a little bit of a screw up. So next week we are going to have our conversation with Sophie Kay, the brilliant presenter and broadcaster and podcaster and all that sort of thing. All that sort of stuff. All that sort of thing. And yes, humble, humble apologies to her for that being a week later than we said it was going to be, but it will be there next week. Okay, thank you so much for listening and we will see you then. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.